First Peter chapter one. I want to start today uh, in in the fourth and the fifth verse, or excuse me, the fifth and sixth verse of the first chapter. We covered uh, a little bit about what it means to be elect, and um, I hope by all, I hope by now we all realize what a privilege it is to be one of the elect. Not a not a uh, not a sign of of. Uh, being better, not a sign of having one step up, not a sign of, of being special in any way uh, compared to somebody else. But being elect is simply the fact that we have heard the word of God, that we have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls, and the only remedy that God has provided for our sin and lost condition, and by turning to Him, we have complete forgiveness of sins, thereby being born again and awaiting his return. We have been elect from all eternity. That has great significance when we realize that not only when Jesus was on the cross, but from all eternity, you and I were on his mind. You and I were his passion. Wow. We've talked a little bit about being not only a part of the elect of God, but how does God deal with us in our day-to-day life? How does He reveal Himself in the Scriptures? You know, that's one of the prime reasons that we go through the Word of God word by word, because we realize that God reveals Him, or reveals Himself to us, in his Godhead, in his triune uh, Godhead, who he is. God is one, consisting of three persons, but yet the one true God. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And yet the scriptures reveal him as three, in a personage of three distinct personages, yet making up the one God. People have tried to explain the Trinity. They try to explain, well, wait a minute, you who you teach the Trinity, you're teaching three different gods. No, we are not. We are teaching one God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and regenerate us to be his own. God reveals himself through the scriptures in this way. And yet in our salvation we saw, and Peter starts off with this, in, in verse 2, for example, we're led to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We also see this same, uh, this same dialogue, if you will, about the Apostle Paul. It says the same thing at his, the end of his second letter to the, to the Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. It's all through the Scriptures. But yet, you, you, when you leave biblical Christianity, or you leave outside the confines of Genesis to Revelation, you have all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of theories of who God is, how He reveals Himself, and so forth. And Peter is starting off to give us a correct understanding 
in accordance with the scriptures. He is also the one that writes that no scriptures of any private interpretation. We must put scripture with scripture to come to any logical conclusion on any doctrine we're looking at. Whether that's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, whether that's redemption, whether that's reconciliation to God, or what have you. We must look at the whole word of God. And that's now we're back into this, this false Christian church that's taking parts of God and weaving it in their own philosophy, or sometimes they're not taking the Word of God at all. So we have a very misunderstanding. So as Christians, we need to understand that this God, this triune Godhead, was, was not only revealing Himself to us, but was every part of the God that was involved in our salvation. And that is powerful, friends. Powerful. Then we went on to say in verse 3, uh, again, I'm just, once we get through this first chapter, we are going to see the laying out that God has um, through the Apostle Peter about this Christian life. But within this first chapter, we must grasp what he is saying. Because he ends this chapter by saying, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. What's our hope? What is our hope day to day? Why do I have a hope? We have an abundance of hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, Paul says, we're still in our sins. So you have the devil out there saying, well, okay, I can't, I can't mess with the word of God there. That's what it says. But I'm going to send out a group of people that say, no, Jesus rose spiritually. He rose from the dead in his spirit body. Is that true? No. Jesus rose from the dead. He's our living hope. And he rose from the dead in the body he was crucified in. See my hands. See my feet. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. You notice he didn't say blood. His blood was spilled out by an angry mob, by a cruel execution. But he rose in the body he was crucified in. That is part of how Satan is going to attack the Word of God increasingly more and more and more in these last days. He can't destroy it. He can't get rid of it. But he can malign it. He can twist it. He can take words out. You know, more likely he's going to take words out because for those of us that know our Bible, we'll hear some go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. That's not, that's not in the Word. But he subtly comes and he, he subtracts just a little bit. To where it's, it's, it sounds good, but the substance is not there. You, you know what he's doing? He's like taking a great baked potato. I love baked potatoes. And what he's doing is he's carving out the meat of the potato. So you see the potato and you oh, it looks good until you try to get into it. You realize it's diminished. You know, it, it, he, takes, <laughs> he takes the skin of the truth and he stuffs it with lies. So we need to understand right from the get-go. That our God, who reveals himself to creation, who he is, this triune God, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we also see that this same God is active in our redemption, which is a word you don't hear too much these days. 
And we moved on to chapter verse 4. Because of our living hope, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that is that is undefiled, that's incorruptible, that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Put your name there. You know, Paul says in, in, in 1 Timothy, I think it's it's the 11th verse, the first chapter, he said, the, God, the gospel was entrusted to me. It was his personal gospel. God had entrusted him with these truths. <clears throat> and the truth is, my friends, that you and I have an inheritance because Christ paid the penalty. He rose from the dead. I turned from my sin by the power of the Spirit. I look to him as my Savior. I'm born again. And guess what? When I die, I will be immediately in his presence. Or I am anticipating his return for me at any moment. That's a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And then we'll verse 5, we're kept by the power of God through faith. We spent quite some time last week on assurance. By the way, if, if you, uh, I produced this, uh, this paper is a couple of pages long, which I used a little bit of it, called, you know, Assurance from the Scriptures. If you want a copy of it, I might run it off. And, um, we are kept by the power of God through faith. We are preserved in Jesus Christ. We can go all the way through the Bible and see that God is a keeping God. He is not a God that is, delights himself as a probation officer. He's not a God that delights himself that, you know what, you better walk my line or all, you know, off to hell you go. He's not a God who gives us a fine line as a monster says, I put a fine line there and it's up to you to find it. And if you crossed it, woe is you. God finishes what he starts. And he finishes the fact that Jesus Christ said it is finished. That should be our final authority. In John 19.30, when Jesus Christ bowed his head and said, it is finished, it is finished. All that comes to me will not perish but have everlasting life. We see that all through the Old Testament as well. So the salvation, starting in verse 5, will be revealed in the last time. The Apostle John uses that phrase in the last time in his epistle. He says, brethren, you know it's the last time. The spirit of Antichrist is running rampant. And by this we know it's the last time. I'm going to read a little bit down, then we'll get back into our text, starting in verse 5. Again, those who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be real in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have grieved, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, 
Of this salvation the prophets have acquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Verse 11, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels desire to look. Now before I, before I get back into our text, I want, to, I want to point out one thing, and we'll go over this when we get there. Look at verse 12 at the end of it real closely. Preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Paul says that about the gospel, he didn't receive it from man. He didn't make it up. He received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel is, is, originates in the mind of God, and it is solely a work of God. The gospel cannot be apprehended unless we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That is the gospel. So when we need to get an understanding on what happened to us. What happened to us when we were born again? Before we, before we get back into verse 5. Something happened. There was an exchange that happened. We were dead in sin. We were alienated from the life of God. We had no hope of heaven. We were depleted of righteousness. What happened when we were born again is that God sent His Holy Spirit that convicted us of sin. We realized that we were in need of a Savior. And we turned to Christ and received the gift of forgiveness. We received that gift of eternal life. We received God's forgiveness and made it our own. That is my forgiveness. And by doing so, something happened. I became born again through the Spirit of God. He came in me and caused me to be born again. Now I have the life of God. I am a recipient from the eternal life past, the eternal life future. That is God. I am now a recipient. I have passed from death into life. I am a new creature. I'm kept by the power of God through faith. Think about that for a minute. How, are, how do you feel you keep your, your Christian life? I hope all of you said, I don't, because I can't keep it. You cannot keep yourself safe. It is the power of God that keeps us safe. Let me, uh, let me show you something that is absolutely marvelous. Wow. It is in uh, Romans. If you want to turn there real quick, keep your finger there. You know, we, uh, we are blessed beyond all measure. And the assurance that we have is not the assurance that I 
now know the right way, and it's up to me to keep the right way, and it's up to me to keep safe. Now, don't get me wrong. We have an obligation. But listen to some of these verses. Starting at verse 7 of Romans chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man one would die. Yet perhaps, or preadventure, for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at this next verse, verse 9, real closely. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, how are we saved by wrath? By the blood of Christ. We no more have the wrath of God abiding upon us because we we read, you know, this is amazing about the Bible. God sets up the Bible in such a way for the curious heart, for the one that that loves him and wants to know about him. Wait, wrath. Isn't wrath something like the the, the bowls of judgment and everything people think? But, you know, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But the other side of that sharp sword is he who believes the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe the Son shall, uh, excuse me, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So, back in our Romans text, Romans 5.9, much more, having now been justified... Being in court and declared by the judge himself, nothing's laid to our charge anymore because it was laid on Christ. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So how do I, how am I justified? How am I uh, alleviated of all, of all wrath? By the blood of Christ. Here's where it gets really free. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son, much more having been reconciled, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are saved by the blood of Christ from wrath. We are saved and kept, preserved in Jesus Christ by the life of Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's in heaven for you and I, in the presence of God for us, the writer of the Hebrews says. Isn't that wonderful? This is a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. I love the Bible. It is a fantastic revelation of our loving Father and how He deals with you and I. I don't need a guru. I don't need somebody to tell me about, about you know, how much God loves me and why He loves me and, and my future. I know my future. My Father in Heaven has revealed it by the Holy Spirit in His, in his pages. And my Savior, His Son, bought it for me. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm glorifying God. Because of that, I'm preserved. We're kept. We're sealed. Remember those words, three words. Regarded. If you, if you know, I love that word. The four words that I have written down here: guarded, kept, preserved, sealed. 
It's what the New Testament talks about, about the born-again Christian. How does God deal with me in salvation? We haven't even gotten to the part about deliverance and safety yet. But we're kept, preserved, and guarded through the power of God we saw in Romans. Remember Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Those are fantastic. Romans is written as, as a treatise, if you will, of, of how God looks at us. You look at Romans, and you, you, you know, first three chapters totally condemns the human race. Then you get in chapter 4, and how, and, and how Abraham, the starting of the line of the seed of Messiah, didn't stagger in unbelief, but gave glory to God. Then you go into chapter 5 and said, now for us, there's no condemnation. You know, we're justified. We're freely justified by Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We go into chapter 6. We see how, how, how does it happen? What happened to me? You know, Christ died. Therefore, that's my death. Christ has rose from the dead. That's my, that's my raising from the dead. I'm in him. God associates with me now, not with Jeff Graham anymore, but with Jesus Christ. You go into chapter 7, that struggle starts. Every Christian, whoever lives that's truly born again, has gone through a struggle in life. We have, a, we have a duality of nature. One is subservient now, praise God, the spirit that was in us. But we still have that, that, that friction. What's going on? That's Romans chapter 7. Things I want to do, I don't do. And things I don't want to do, I do. And then Paul breaks through in Romans chapter 8 about that glorious victory in Christ. And then we go on from there. Wow, it is just an amazing thing. And, and Peter here is saying, we're not only, all this is ours because of the resurrection of Christ, we're kept by the power of God through faith. And he says in verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice. We should rejoice. <laughs> wow, it, it, never, it never stops giving us new water of, of, of joy when you read those passages. Did you realize that your life is kept by the Son of God? My life is kept by the Son. I can lay down and sleep knowing that if He comes at midnight, He's coming for me. Wow. So He says in verse 6, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Wow. Grieved by various trials. Remember when we were back in James? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God will use trials in your life. And you know, I love the Bible. It's, it, you know, we, we aren't going, oh, yay, another trial. You know, bring it on. But we realize that, that trials produce, do we really believe in what we believe? Do we really rest in the fact that we are kept by God? Do we really rest that we are an elect person of God himself. It wasn't that God sent, you know, some of his angels out to, to call you like he elected you and I himself. He saw you and I. There's there's things in the Bible that we don't understand, that we won't understand, and maybe we will in eternity. That's God's business. One thing I do know, the Bible says that God knows the beginning from the end. 
The Bible says that God knows who will come to Christ. The Bible says that God knows everything. But on the other hand, he leaves man with a free will. He leaves man with a choice. And he loves man. And he came down. And that's part of the gospel. The gospel wasn't given in some, some recluse way. If, if you see it, great. If you missed it, well, oh, it's too bad, man. That was great. No, God demonstrated his love. And that way we were yet sent as Christ died for us. And the Bible says that at the right time, Christ died. At the right time. So that, that means that the cross is the apex of human history. Wasn't a moment too soon and certainly wasn't a moment too late. We must let God be God. We know one thing for certain. Man has a choice. It is all through the Bible. I'm not going to get into argument because argument is futile. I do not need to vindicate the Bible. The Bible vindicates me. The Bible says that I was a lost sinner without hope, without God in the world. And yet because of turning to Christ and God's free gift, the Bible says that I have eternal life, that I'm kept that I have a heaven, a hope of heaven for me. That's not a I hope I get there someday. It's a hope that what God said he's going to perform. That's what biblical hope is. And it all rests on the bedrock of Christ raising from the dead. This is how Peter starts his epistle. He wants us to be solid. He does not want us to be swayed. He's going to talk about later on, and he's going to talk about false prophets. During the people back then, there was false prophets, just like there will be false teachers among you today that will take these things and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, uh, well, they're going to twist it and contort it. I just want to say one thing before we go any further. Listen to this. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. There's also our beloved brother Paul. Remember, this is what the word was preached to you according to the gospel, what he says in the end of his first chapter. But as he's ready to leave, in Second Peter, he says this about what people are going to do. Consider long-suffering our Lord of his salvation as according to our brother Paul. According to the wisdom given him, he has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught, and unstable people twist to their own destruction. It doesn't stop there. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. You twist the scripture in one part, you twist it all. You take out Genesis and all, you might as well throw out the Bible. So are you grieved for a while by various tribes? Oh, you come to church and hear the wonderful news and, and the wonderful, you know, great things that we've talked about. I hope you remember uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Great bookends to, the, you know, the, the complete or the starting of your salvation and the completeness of it. In fact, why, why don't you just put in between Romans 5, 9 and 10... Romans 5, 9, and then Philippians 1, 6, and then Romans 5, 10. Because he's going to complete that which he started in you until that day. So you have grievous trials right now. 
You know, all this is happening and all this is good, and yet trials come into your life. Look at verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, and believe me, brethren, we're going to be tested by fire. Every one of us here that have Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King and their Lord is going to be tested by fire. But it, it's going to the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the genuineness of our faith is proved by the fire of the trials and life in general. It just is. It's going to be proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. We want the real thing. We want to know. And as some commentators say, they're a split. You know, some say, well, that revelation of Jesus Christ means the second coming to this earth. Well, some say, no, it means when he's revealed to us and calls us in the clouds of heaven. Does not really matter? But I believe personally that is both. But I also believe, according to uh, the scripture we read in first or in the first chapter of Ephesians, that this praise and glory is going to ring forth through all ages and all eternity, because we dare to believe what God has done in Christ. And through trials and tribulations, they didn't they didn't wear us down. All they do is refine us. I can tell you this. In the days to come, your adversary is going to test you and and kick you around some. And your your faith is going to be tested. Your beliefs are going to be tested. Are you going to stand? I know that when we all see him face to face. As I've said before, we're all going to realize that that it is. It's all been true. How many times do we read in the Word of God and we see something over and over tested, and we see, we ask in our mind, God, is this true of me? Are these promises true of me? Do you really love me? That's what I did. I remember waking up on a Tuesday morning back in April 19, is April 5th, 1983. And I said, God, do you really love me? I never gave you a second thought. And I didn't. My wife and I were just talking about that the other day. I never gave him a second thought. I never thought about God. I never thought about death. I never thought about anything. I thought about myself. These truths that we have, Christian, that we have been, we should have known years ago, that maybe some of us are really learning for the first time, these are the bedrock of, I am built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, that there's no other foundation that can be laid, that which is Jesus Christ, none other. The genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold, gold will perish. Everything will perish. The only thing that will last 10 billion years 
There's no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. That's what's going to last. And that's the genuineness of your faith. That's the praise, honor, and glory that Christ is going to get 10,000 years from now. That's the eternal life, friends, of being born again that we've received. That life that's going to be vibrant and with Christ 10,000 years from now. That's what it means to be born again. We are recipients of, the, of, the etern- of God, eternal life. We are eternal beings living with Him. Christ now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Well, that is amazing. And it's going to be found honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Honor and glory. You read Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, you see how we're coming back with him in triumphant glory. You read in 2 Thessalonians, or Paul's talking about coming, how Jesus Christ will come back in flaming fire with his angels. It's just going to be a, a monumental understanding that those of us that are born in him have his life. We are a part of, of his life now. We are his children He will never leave us or forsake us, and everything that He is going to reign, we are going to be co-heirs with Him. Now, what are your trials? I mean, they're real. Absolutely, they're real. How do they, what? Really? Are they going to succumb you? Is that a word? Are they going to overtake you? Are they going to drown you? Are they going to cause you to to fall and, and, and be bitter? I'm going to cause you to complain. They're going to be tested by fire, and so are you. But Christ will be with you every step of the way. And this produces verse 8 Whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not now see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, Jesus said in John 15, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace, that in me you might have joy, and that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That's John 15, 11. I just added the piece in because... These things I have spoken to you. Is not the Word of God the Word of God? Just because it's not in red letters doesn't mean it's not any, any more the Word of God than... I remember the first time I saw a Bible without red letters, I was kind of taken aback. It's kind of weird. And I realized how much of Jesus' words I didn't know because I couldn't find them in the red letters. Let me tell you this, my friends, that's all the Word of God right here. And Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you. I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be full. And Peter now is echoing that. You don't see him now, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you have joy? Are you in the Word? I 
I know I have a mind that, that tends to grab everything it can. So I know by that very nature, if I'm not in the Word of God, my mind's going to grab other things, you know? It's just the way it is. That's the way our mind operates. It's, a, it's <laughs> People say it's a computer. It's not a computer. Our mind have thoughts, and thoughts are spiritual. They aren't material. Oh, I can't think of what my mind's going to think of tomorrow, how I'm going to live. No, your, your mind it has been given by God. Your thoughts that come into your mind are spiritual. The Bible is always saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Set those things, your mind or your affection, I like. I love the, the affection because the mind has the capability of setting affections. Favoritisms, if you will, in this vernacular, but affections. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 to set your affections on things above. Your mind, but your, more importantly, your affections. What is, gonna, what is your mind going to dwell on? What, are, what is your priority? What are you going to think upon? I'm not going to think upon the life that was. I spent 22 years doing that. Now my mind is, and my, the affection is on things above, where my life is seated on the right hand of God, or with the right hand of God, with Christ. And that's what he's saying here. And I can do that confidently. Because I've been elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. And then, and then Peter adds to that and says, I have been have a living hope according to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I have an inheritance that won't fade away. I am kept guarded, preserved in him because of a sacrifice for me. And how do I know all this? The Bible says that Christ is in the presence of God for me. He's the forerunner that went for me. I know I'm going to get there because my forerunner is already there. He paved the way. He is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You put all that together, and Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you realize that you are a sinner, I'm here to tell you that God has provided a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not stopped rejoicing in Christ since I have been saved. I rejoice in Him more now because I realize that my Lord loves me, that He saved me, that He sealed me, and He's coming back for me. Do you, do you think on these things? What do you think about? Answer that with your own self. You know, what do you think about during the day? What motivates your life? Is it these truths? The genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold. You know, gold, I just heard the other day, it's up a little bit. But, you know, the world is saying, well, you know what? The, the, the world cash and, and this economic world, the only thing really left is gold. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that might not, according to the Word of God, that's going to go. It's all going to go. It's the faith in Christ and what He has done. Is going to last. It's the hope of eternal life that we have that's going to last. You know what? You can't get very far without realizing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. It's substance. Don't let anybody ever say, well, you know, Christianity is just some, you know, buy pie, pie in the sky, and, and that's, you know, that's your belief. No, it has substance. It has a knowing. There's no other faith in the world that has a knowing. Christianity is the only is the only religion, and I say religion by just comparison. It is not comparison to any other. That gives us a hope. It's a knowing. The Bible is full of a knowing. It's not a hope. It's a biblical hope in knowing that God will perform that which He said. So, verse nine says, "Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." What's the end result of my faith? What's the end result of me putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? The end result is the salvation of my soul. Now you get people that say, well, you know, see, that's that's one of the scriptures or a lot of people say, well, that's basically just saying, receive at the end of your faith. You know, if you hang on, you know, and they say that with, you know, where the, the Bible says that those that, you know, hang on to the end, those that will be saved. You know that scripture? No. We're taking all those out of context. What I want to present to you this morning is biblical evidence based on the Word of God of the salvation of your soul. Because that's exactly how Peter opens up his first epistle. Salvation. He's talking here about the salvation from the power of sin, and from sin itself, from its consequence. But let me also add, too, that salvation also means deliverance. It also means safety. God is going to deliver us. God is going to keep us safe from all evil. Paul said that the same thing to Timothy in his last, when he's, one of his last words to Timothy, that Christ will bring me safely to his kingdom. He will deliver me from evil and bring me safely to his kingdom. Wait a minute, Paul was beaten, and, and Paul was, you know, that, that God's not saying that we won't be have tribulation and troubles in this life. He's saying he's going to save us from all evil. And folks, verse 9 is, is centered on faith, not works. You know, the longer I'm a Christian, the more that I communicate the Word of God and talk to people, the more I realize that that the aim of the enemy is to keep knowledgeable understanding of what God has done for us in Christ away from the Christian. It's just the way it is. I've known Christians that have been Christians for many, many years that do not know the basics of their faith. They do not know the promises that are theirs. But more importantly, they do not know that they are kept by a living hope, by the resurrection of the dead. They do not know that they are kept by Christ. Christ is interceding for us. And by the way, this gospel is not a New Testament concept. 
The salvation was all through the word of God. It's in the mind of God eons ago. Look at verse 10 of this salvation the prophets have acquired. And search carefully who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating that he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. Wow. What does that mean? Well, the prophets that they were speaking of about the grace of Christ and the glories that should follow. You know, a lot of the prophets, and I'll just give you two examples, a lot of the prophets saw a far and a near prophecy. They prophesied about the suffering coming of the Messiah, and then they prophesied about the reigning of the Messiah, but that valley, the church age, the day of grace, the time that Christ suffered, the time that Christ came back and reigned, was hidden. They were perplexed. We're in one such area right now, in Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and verses 4. You look at verse 2 of Micah chapter 5, I don't have time to go there, but, you know, from you, Bethlehem, Euphrates, you, too small amongst the clan, from you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. And so you don't misunderstand me. His, his going is from everlasting. The Christ is to be born in Bethlehem the Savior of the world. And yet you go a few verses down and he talks about Christ reigning and all the people's louding him. It was a perplexity. Or you can go back to the fact of, of Isaiah in chapter 7, chapter 9, a son will be born. You know? A son will be, will be given to us. But yet the government will rest on his shoulders. So we have a babe born in the manger, born of a virgin, and yet we have the government of all the world resting on his shoulders. Those are just two examples. We can go through many of them. They were perplexed. And they saw two uh, prophecies about God's Messiah and, and being, uh, being slain, dying for the sins of the world, and yet we see his glorious reign over all the world, and, and mix that in with the fact that not only is glorious reign in all the world, but the prophets prophesying to a, 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 a adulterous, wayfaring Israel. So they were really perplexed. See, you cannot take the Messiah and the Israel and separate them. Boy, I would get in trouble, and I probably will get in trouble. Because people want to hear that this day. What do you mean you can't take the Messiah and separate from Israel? You can't. You cannot. Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of his father, Jeff? No, it is father, Micah? No, his father, David, from the scriptures. They were perplexed. The salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you? They were searching, verse 11, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them. Was indicating that when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That was perplexing. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Something is happening here. Something glorious is happening here. 
And in the spiritual realm, when we see when Christ was born in the manger, what was happening? There was spiritual warfare like like nobody can imagine happening right there. We see in the Revelation where the dragon was ready to swallow up the child as soon as he was delivered. So when Jesus Christ came into the world, the prophets have foretold of it. Christ came into the world. Satan was right there, ready to devour him. Satan is no match for, for God. All through growing up, I'm sure, he tried to divert the child in many ways. We don't know. The scripture silent about that. But we do know when he was 12 years old, we see him in the temple. Talking about things of his father. When he became of age, what do we see? We see him out in the wilderness, Satan trying to thwart him. Hey, if you're the son of God, show the world, man. Throw yourself down and we'll believe in you. That didn't work. So Christ kept walking, kept walking. He had the religious leaders trying to constantly, you know, trip him up to say something. And then we have the climax of history that Paul says was the apex of history. Christ is going to the cross. The religious leaders say, come down from that cross. You come down. Nobody's ever done it before. This is Jeff Graham paraphrase, but this is what's in their mind. Nobody else has come down from the cross. Like Tozer said, it completed his task 100% of the time. It killed. No one ever came down from the cross. But you know what? If you come down from that cross, we'll believe in you. Then we'll realize that you're the Messiah. Even then, Satan was trying to finish that work that the Father gave him. They were perplexed. No wonder we read that Peter's going to say, mortal man left to himself says, you know what, man, where's the promise of this guy's coming? Come on. He has been gone for a long time. Is it a long time? Compared to eternity, it's not a long time, it's nothing. Several times in the Word of God, Peter will be one of them that will tell men, a thousand years is of one day, and one day is a thousand years compared to God. It's not a long time. Transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. Understand what the will of God is. That we would understand His Word. That we would know that the prophets inquired of these things, and they were perplexed about them. You know the Bible? You should. If you've been a Christian for some time and you've not read through the Bible, shame on you. We need to know the Bible. We need to know the prophecies. We need to know the fulfillment of the prophecies that have been and the fulfillment of the prophecies that will be. Part of these prophecies that we're talking about here, that the prophets search inquiry, they've seen. We've seen the fulfillment of the first one, that the babe would come, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would die for the sins of the world. Now, are we just as assured of his second coming? Are we just as assured that he's coming back for us? 
<clears throat> they searched. And verse 12 says it was revealed to them that they weren't ministering for them. They were ministering for us. They were preaching the gospel which the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels even looked into. They desired to look into it. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I'm almost done. Before I go to 13, let me just make a... a, a I think a lot of, of what is going on today about evangelism and, and you know, uh, reaching the world for Christ and... and we got to bring people in because so we're going to bring them in with entertainment. We're going to, you know, make God look like a, a genie in a bottle. We're going to appeal to people, people's, you know, the family. We're going to say, you know, family such an important part. So, so we're going to bring people in by, by catering the family. We're going to do all these things. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says that the true church of Jesus Christ is born by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The gospel that is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what the true remnant, the true church is going to grow by. And we see today what Satan is doing. He's bringing people in by mass marketing. He's doing all these things while they starve to death. I'm reminded of that lady. I told you that story about wonderful. She had gone to a, a, a mega church, huge mega church. And if I told you the pastor of it, you would know exactly what I mean. For nine years, never encouraged to read a Bible, never encouraged to bring a Bible. And she was... She made a statement on film, on tape, after nine years, she was not born again. She thought she was. She didn't know Christ. been going to this mega church for nine years. And then she heard the gospel and was saved. And now it's her job. She goes around warning people of deception, warning people of 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 pastors or, or shepherds that don't that don't encourage Bible reading, that don't encourage to be checked out, that in fact that don't go from the scriptures themselves. How deluded we can be. The gospel preached in the power of the Spirit, that's what caused me. I know. And all you that are born again know. You heard the gospel somewhere. Something happened. And I've never been the same again. It's the power of the Spirit that preaches the gospel. It's the power of the Spirit that convicts people of sin. That is what the whole Bible is all about. Man's complete ruin in sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ. And the prophets prophesied about these things. And you and I are recipients of all the promises. Lest we get too comfortable in some of these things, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. What a glorious thing. In, in Ephesians 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Things that angels desire to look into. The prophecy of the coming Messiah, and yes, his reign, and yet there's a time in there that, that the grace of Christ, the time of grace, if you will, this dispensation that, that were the keys of it to open were given to Peter. The understanding and the displaying of the grace and the function of the church were given to the Apostle Paul.
Wow, I'll end with verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. There we go. Be sober-minded. And rest your hope partially upon the grace that is to be brought to you in Jesus Christ. Good for you. No. Not partially. Fully. Completely. Completely. Put all your eggs in, into the Word of God. Rest your hope completely, fully, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. The Bible says I was saved in grace. Wait a minute. The Bible says that I'm, I'm, I'm saved in grace. Now the Bible says I'm going to be saved with Christ by grace. We need to understand it is grace from the beginning. It is grace during the journey. It is grace at the end. We are saved in grace. We are kept in grace. We are consummated in grace. The object of any learning or any communicator or anybody's taught is that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You know, remember our wonderful verse in, in Ephesians chapter 4? I love it. Uh, Fred ever sells his mind, well, you know, I don't go to church because all that is is some commentary given by some guy who thinks he knows more than anybody. Really? Hmm. Well, in the list here, it says that Christ gave some to be apostles. Yes, he did appoint the apostle. I, I Paul, called to be an apostle through Jesus Christ. Prophets? Oh, yeah. God had called all the prophets and, and, and caused the prophets to write down exactly what he would have them to do. We just read about them. Evangelists? Oh, yeah. God has sent those out, particularly to call people into the living church of the living God. And then he's also given within that living church pastors and teachers. Okay? And he does it so that we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man and all the fullness of Christ. Why? So we can stand up there and say, well, I've done it. No, but that we be children not tossed to and fro and not carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul's going to go, or Peter, excuse me, is going to go on a little later as we get into this. He's going to say, I put these things by way of reminder because the Lord Jesus has shown me that I must shortly put off this, my tabernacle. I want to stir your mind up by way of reminders because I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to go away. But I want your mind to be fresh. Paul said the same thing in Acts 20. He says, I know that you are going to see my face no more. He was on the way to Rome. And he said the same thing. I, I, I've... I want the whole counsel of God because I know that as soon as I leave, there's going to be wolves that are going to rise up within your midst. All of the apostles and the prophets are warning. God's truth is God's truth. And whenever there's a real thing, there's always the counterfeit. And the counterfeit is during these last days, it gets closer and closer to Christ's return. They're going to be ferocious. 
Satan knows that as time is short. Let's get into the Word of God. Let it get into us. That's our safeguard. I want to know what God has for me. I want to know how, in these perilous times, how to stand. I want to be a soldier for Christ, not entangling myself in affairs of everyday life, but I want to rest my hope fully and completely, verse 13, of the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. Is your hope rest on that? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you sure that if you died right now, that you would be with Christ? Are you sure right now that your sins are forgiven? Are you assured that you will not face the judgment of God and be banished forever to a place called hell, which is from the presence and the glory away from the presence of God himself in torment? Are we sure? Because if you're not, you can't rest completely and fully. You still have fear. And the Bible says a perfect love casts out fear. Because my judgment was heaped upon Christ. You know, he'll wear, he'll wear the scars for all eternity of suffering. We need to be sure of this salvation. I think there's some listening that need to know that that might have been going to church for a long time, that might have thought they knew their Bible, that might have, you know, but they never were really sure. You can be sure now that you're are a sinner. We all are. The only difference between me and somebody that's dead in their sin is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am alive because Christ lives in me. I have a future. I have a hope. I know that my sins are forgiven, that that whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord's. I know that when I get when I die and I stand before him, I am not going to be condemned for my sinful condition. I know that when I stand before him, I'll be welcomed because he is my savior and my Lord, and he longs for me to be with him. If you cannot be assured of this in your own life, you need to repent, which means to come to Christ and turn your life around and face him as your savior. Face Him as the one who has taken all the punishment for your sin. He has answered for every awful sin you could ever do. He's answered for it. He was judged for it. He died for it. And He rose again a new creation. And Peter said, that's our living hope. Because Christ rose from the dead and He's coming back. And Father, I thank You for the Word this morning. Lord, I just ask that, that those that, that are listening uh, by the internet or what have you, the Lord, that they would, would say, in effect, God, I have sinned. 
I've not given you a second thought. I've not given you your due. And I have sinned. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. Not giving a... Not giving a hoot about the things that that were important to you. That I didn't give honor and homage to the one who created me. That I didn't give you a second thought. But Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. Now I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for my sins upon the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. And he bids me to follow him, and I place my trust in him. And that I would know that I have a hope today, tomorrow, and the next day, because Christ rose from the dead. And God, I know that by that happening, that you showed me that my sins are gone if I put my trust in Christ. And I receive that gift of eternal life and forgiveness now. And as Jesus died on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died for me so that I won't have to suffer separation from you, God, forever. I want to be born again. Ask him into your heart, into your life, as your savior from sin. And that's exactly what he will give you, is a new life and forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray this be the plight of us all, that we'd understand your word and that we would rejoice in it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.